failed to realize when he set the conditions of my parole that that's what I do. And I was suffering from the delusion that I could do something different. And I walked out of his office 28 days sober without having a drink longer than I hadn't had a drink in a long time. Penitentiary did not keep me sober. I drank or used drugs every day, not without one day that I was in the penitentiary. You buy, you buy drugs and alcohol from the, from the guards that are keeping you there. And there's good reasons that they do that. Good reasons. You don't want a penitentiary filled with guys without any drugs or alcohol. And I walked out of his office into a bar, picked up a drink, called the next felon, and drove out of the county. Because that's what I do. With a sufficient reason not to do that. They were going to send me back behind the walls. And I drank for nine more years. Now I have to get past the days when there was drama and just look at the days where I would drink again when I didn't want to, when there wasn't any drama at all. And I find most of that kind of drinking in my last six years in Key West, Florida, where after a man died in my arms of an overdose, a man who was closer to me than my own father, he, all, he had four of us all put a star in our hand when we were 17. They're all four dead today, including him. I'm the only one alive. That's what this is about. And uh, he died in my arms on an overdose of drugs that I bought with my money, and I lived with that guilt for a long time. And having that would be that'd be like killing the killing the most important man in your life. I was closer to him than my own father, and I thought I killed him. And I gave up on life, and I moved to Key West, Florida, and I spent six years trying to die, and I failed at that. And in those six years, there was no drama. Never got arrested. Never went to jail. Never got in trouble. Never had a girlfriend. No one ever left me. I was way, I drank way past emotion. I drank way past circumstance. And in those, in those last six years, I see times that I just never wanted to drink again and I had to. No choice. This is what happens. Bottom of 43, it says that at a certain time, there will be no effective mental defense against the first drink. And that neither me nor any other human being will be able to provide that defense. My defense must come from a higher power. Those are the last set of questions you need to ask yourself before moving on. That's the summary of Section 3, the mental obsession. So to move on, to move on after lunch today, you only need to be convinced of two things. They've spent all these pages, from the doctor's opinion to the bottom of this page, approximately 53 pages, just to get across. Can you control it once you start? And can you keep yourself stopped now that you've stopped? The line in the next to the last paragraph in page 43, as to two of you men whose stories I've heard, there's no doubt in my mind you're 100% hopeless apart from divine help. They don't mean divine help, do they? Do you think they mean divine help? Huh? Now let me get this right. <laughs> Well then, what what does that do with what does that do with the group then? Well, doorknobs or all that other stuff that you hear. I wonder what they mean there. So you go back into your experience. You know, is any human power ever keep you from a drink? And like Joe says, it's summed up. Do I believe that at certain times I will have no effective mental defense against the first drink? Do I believe that no human being can provide such a defense? Must my defense come from a higher power? If I don't believe the questions asked in this paragraph, it means I still have some reservations. 
So I need to sit with that. I need to take a look at that. And that's where we'll leave it, and then we'll come back from lunch, and we'll talk about the second half of step one. Because all we've been doing, if it seems like we've been spending a lot of time in the first half of step one, it's because we've been spending a lot of time in the first half of step one. You know, I want to say one other thing when Joe and I do this. We don't follow any spirit guides us. There's a reason we're having to spend so much time in this. And it has to do with the experience we're all supposed to be having. Because we have a schedule, trust me, that we wished we were at that we're not even close to. But I want you all to understand this. We don't come in here with these notes and these, <laughs> we're going to be here at this time and this time and we get anal retentive if we're not there. We we pray and we go. Okay? So, I knew from that moment on that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Bottom of the next paragraph, this process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. And then our hope begins to come when we see that there's none at all. I'd like to paint a picture for you and suggest a meditation for anybody that's doing the prayer, that's here for experience rather than knowledge or information. You've been doing the set-aside prayer, and you can take five minutes before quarter to two, sit quietly, scan whatever pages you want to scan, but focus on two pages. Focus on the top of page 23 and just quietly sit with, does my experience abundantly confirm? That once I put alcohol in my system, something happens which makes it virtually impossible for me to stop. Can I control the amount once I start to drink? And the bottom of 43, do I believe at a certain time there will be no effective mental defense against the first drink and that neither you, myself, or any other human power is going to be able to provide that defense? Must my defense come from a higher power? Can I keep myself sober? And the experience of where we need to be to move into the unmanageability might be there in your consciousness. And you might see that if you have the problem over here, you know, alcohol, I'm going to drink again, and I'm focused on the problem, and there's anything I can do about the problem, then I'm the solution. And I'm always focused on the problem. But if I look at that problem long enough and see there's nothing I can do about that problem, and I'm not the solution, I'm the one with the problem, bring that to my heart and see there's nothing I can do about it. Not only will I receive more hope and power than I've ever had in my life, but I will then be turned to seeking the solution that's already working in my life, and I won't be it. I won't be the solution. I'm going to say this again. Picture the problem out here somewhere, which the ego likes to do. And that's my problem. I'm going to drink again. If there's anything I can do to keep myself from drinking again, anything at all that I can do on my own power, then I am the solution, and I'll always have to stay focused on the problem. But if I see there is nothing I can do about this problem, I bring it to my heart, and I have that consciousness then I can't see the problem because it's in me and I then have to look for that which is my solution because I'm not it. And I will be forced 
to seek that solution which is already working for every one of us in this room because I'm not the solution. As long as I'm the solution, why would I need anything other than myself? But if I see there's nothing I can do, then I'll be turned to that which already is. Let's come back at quarter to two. If you'll uh, please repeat the uh, set-aside prayer after me. God, please set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience with the unmanageability of my spirit. Please help me to see the truth. Somebody asked a really great question at the end of the next, I'm sorry, at the end of the last session. That's how intuitive I am. (laughs) I'm telling you about questions that haven't even been asked yet. It hasn't come to him yet. Who's going to ask him? But it will. What would it be like? (laughs) I'll just do the answer, right? No matter what you do. (laughs) Somebody asked at the end of the last session, if there's nothing that I can do to keep myself sober, why are we doing the work? Great question. I'm doing the work currently because there's nothing I can do to keep myself sober to seek a deeper relationship with that which can. And I'm shifted from focusing on the problem once again. See, if I'm focused on the problem, then I must be the solution. And if I'm focused on the problem, which is drinking again, and there's anything I, without God, can do, then I'm the solution and drinking again is the problem. But if I look at the problem long enough to see there's nothing I can do about it, I go from the solution to being the one with the problem, and then I am turned to seeking that which can keep me sober. So I'm not doing this work as, and see, it's one of our, see, you think the, those people in AA that don't need to do what's in this book, you think they have their own doubt and reservations? Well, so do we. Those that do what's in the book. And one of the biggest ones that those that do the work have is they turn the work into one more thing that they're doing to keep themselves sober rather than One more thing that they're doing, I mean, rather than seeing there's nothing they can do to keep themselves sober and doing the work to seek a deeper relationship with that which already is. And it does, it sounds like semantics, but I'll tell you, it'll make a whole shift. It'll make a a radical shift in your mode of action and your perception. If your focus is on not drinking, then you're the solution. If your focus is on seeking that which is keeping you sober, then you're really focused on the solution because you're not it. You're not the solution. And I think I did the work for a long time as one more little thing in my repertoire of stuff that I was doing to keep myself sober. (laughs) I also said that I would share with you, before we were done with that section, the truth I found in the steps the first time, which has continued to be revealed to me deeper and deeper levels. The physical craving, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I've had the physical craving for drugs, and I've had the physical craving for al- for alcohol. I got to the mental obsession, 
you know, can I keep myself stopped? And here's where I saw I'm not a drug addict. I did heroin for a few years, was physically addicted, made up my mind one day I never wanted to do it again, and walked away from heroin on my own power. And I try to share that with a junkie, and they don't understand me because they've tried to do that time after time after time, and they needed some power to stay sober from drugs. And I never did. I walked away from heroin. Then I started doing cocaine in South Florida, in Key West, in the middle of that whole world. And I woke up one day and I said, I do not like the way this stuff is making me feel. And I never had another hit of cocaine for the rest of my life. And I share that with a cocaine addict and I lose them. They don't understand me. So drugs, I was able to walk away from on my own power. But alcohol, couldn't quit drinking for 18 years. And I needed some power to keep from drinking alcohol again. And that happens to be my truth. I've seen different people find different truth. One that a friend of mine came up with one time when we were sitting, and I don't understand this because cocaine never did this to me, but I understand there's people that do cocaine. And this was the question that this guy asked. He said, what was the drug? Because alcohol is a drug. But the misconception is, that here's how the thinking goes. If alcohol is a drug, and a drug is a drug, then alcoholism is the same as drug addiction. And that's where they get lost. Uh, it's not. There's a, we looked at that. But the, the question my friend asked somebody once was, what treated it? So you start with the spiritual malady. We start with the craving, and we get to the spiritual malady this afternoon. But if you start with the spiritual malady as something that was there before you started drinking or using, which drug treated it? Which drug made page 52 go away? And I'm telling you, cocaine never treated my spiritual malady. Matter of fact, cocaine made my spiritual malady worse. I didn't want to be around anybody. Everybody said sex would be great. It just didn't have, I don't even want to describe what happened to me, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't cute. Well, it was sort of cute. I want to, I want to close the windows and bar the doors and peek out the windows and I get more restless and I get more irritable and I get more discontent and my emotional nature gets worse, uh, misery and depression, making a living, control, none of it. But alcohol treated page 52. And I guess here and there, although I don't understand them, I have met drug addicts that their drug, their deal, the one they have no choice over, treated their spiritual malady. So there's another little thing. Anything at all, Mark, about the uh, craving or the obsession or anything from the title page to the bottom of 43? That... No. <laughs> Let's go to page. Shortest answer he's ever given. Let's go to page. I was telling uh, Joe, you know, this is the 12th one of these, and I don't know why I forget this every time, but... Um, you know, this morning, I, with only two, three hours sleep, I did my prayer and meditation, came in, a lot of energy. And we went to lunch, and it's like, if I could have found a bed, there'd be someone else up here, or he'd be here alone. And I just forget the tremendous resistance we're going to get from you all around step one. It's like, every time I forget this, right? Uh, and, and it's a, it's an unseen force, but it's a very strong force, and, uh, so, <clears throat> I had to close my eyes over lunch and ask that power to come back in because the resistance when you're looking at step one from alcoholics is just incredible. So page 44, we agnostics. We're going to look at the third part of step one. We've looked at the body and the mind. Now we're going to look at the spirit. 
We're going to use uh, three pages, parts of three pages. We're going to use all of page 44. We're going to use half of page 45 up to, uh, uh, well, that's exactly what this book is about. And we're going to use the middle paragraph on page 52. And uh, this is the spirit. This is about the spirit. And this is about the spirit before the first drink when alcohol is not working and after the first drink when alcohol is not working. We're going to look at this uh, drunk or sober. When The only time when, when, the un, when, the, when this is not true is when booze was treating it. And isn't it interesting? Alcohol treats alcoholism. We're going to look at three terms here, and I want you to ask some questions about these three terms. The one first term is unmanageability. The second term is uh, spiritual malady. And the third term is untreated alcoholism. And this is a condition, let's call it maybe like a state of consciousness, that takes place before and after the first drink, except when alcohol is working. And a couple pertinent questions I'd like to look at as we work on this. These three terms, unmanageability, spiritual malady, and untreated alcoholism, are these three terms synonymous, or, they, or do they describe three separate things? Or do these three terms describe the same thing? And is this condition external or internal? We're going to continue to turn statements into questions, and we're going to, when we get to page 52, we're going to look at three specific ways of looking at the questions on page 52 in the middle paragraph. How many of you think your life's unmanageable because you drank? But you haven't had a drink for a long time. Is your life manageable now? Oh, okay. See, I was just like him. I thought the dash, you know the little dash between the first half that we've covered, body and mind, and the second half, I thought the dash meant fill in the blank. Because I always want to fill in the blank, right? And what I wanted to fill in the blank with is, yes, I admit that I'm powerless over alcohol, and that's why my life has become unmanageable. So now that I'm not drinking anymore, there shouldn't be any problem at all. Thank you very much. And I found out if you're sober any period of time, the second half of step one has nothing to do with the first half of step one unless you're still drinking. Yes, drinking does tend to make your life unmanageable, but then you're left with the unmanageability and it starts to get worse after you're not pouring booze on it anymore. Because the booze wasn't your problem until it was. That's pretty cool. Booze wasn't your problem until it was. You know the best description I ever heard a guy describe of this state of consciousness on page 52? He said, I reached a day in Alcoholics Anonymous where I couldn't pull off on purpose what I used to be able to do by mistake. And I saw it. There was some stuff that used to happen when I was drinking. You know those life and death scrapes and big piles of money and jobs and relationships and you come to Alcoholics Anonymous and you reach a day without any booze in your system for a long period of time and you can't even make happen on purpose what used to happen by mistake. And I understood it. So page 44 in the preceding chapters, first 53 pages, I've learned something about alcoholism. We hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Have they? 
And here, here's one, one sentence that's going to sum up the first 53 pages. If, when I honestly want to, I find I could not quit entirely. Stay stopped. Or if, when drinking, I have little control over the amount I take, I am probably alcoholic. Physical craving. If that's the case, or faced with these two problems, do I believe I'm suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer? Now, there's a consideration that sometimes some of you that are absolutely clear on the craving and you're absolutely clear on the obsession might have more trouble with than you did on the craving or the obsession is this, is this next consideration. See, I'm, what if... What if you're working with somebody and they believe they have an illness, body and mind and spirit, but it's not an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer? And you know what? We're surrounded by them, and I've been one of them, and you've watched people for long periods of time slowly and surely eliminate their options in the program sober. Because for a while it'll be about the right woman. Then it'll be about the right job. And then it'll be about the right amount of money or the right amount of meetings and they just or the right therapist or the right medication control your life so you can drink and they don't know that they don't know that they don't know that and you watch them spend long periods of time in Alcoholics Anonymous working on this consideration and they don't even know it they don't believe they suffer from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer see a lot of the a lot of people in this room want a spiritual experience but they don't want to do what's necessary to have it and I think maybe a lot of that comes because they don't believe that the, they're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Remember, I said you've got to get free from the delusion you're operating into versus what you think you believe in, what your ego's convincing you believe in. If you want to know what you believe in, look at your actions. If you believe that you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer and you've been around this program any period of time, then surely you would have gone through this book and followed the directions and done everything it asks you to do. And if you haven't, maybe it's because you're operating in delusion. You don't believe that you need to have a spiritual experience. <clears throat> but you're telling me that. See, I watch feet. That's all I watch feet. Not interested in this stuff, right? I mean, I walked around for years. Well, I intended not to cheat on you, honey, when I went out last night with the guys. She got real concerned about the fact I did. I just looked at the fact I intended not to. That's the belief system and delusion I operate under. Well, the same thing's true when I'm sober. I, the only, you know, the definition of Sandy's truth and reality. What's my truth? And I, you don't want to know, if you want to know what that is, look at your behavior. It'll show you your belief systems. So, in one sentence, they sum up the first 53 pages. And I come face to face with, do I believe I'm suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer? Or you could add to that, or do I have any other options? goes on to say, to one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, such an experience may seem impossible. But to continue as I am will mean disaster. Do I believe that? Especially if I'm an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Hopeless, beyond human aid. Says to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis. These are not always easy to face. The reason they're not easy to face is we don't have the power to do either. Nobody in this room's had the power to die an alcoholic death. Now, isn't that interesting? See, we're not the ones, the ones in this room are not the ones that have been successful at dying an alcoholic death. The ones in this room are failures at dying an alcoholic death. So we're failures at dying and we're failures at living. 
Wonderful, reason, wonderful place to be. <laughs> and the reason that those two alternatives are not easy for me to face is, number one, because they're the only two. And then the really messed up thing is I can't pull off either one of them. If I could pull off dying an alcoholic death, I wouldn't be here today. And if I could pull off living on a spiritual basis, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> And I've talked to some of you to, to enough to know that some of you are actually trying to self-will your spiritual life. Jason was for a long time. But there's a, there's a great statement of hope. It says, well, hey, it's not so difficult. <laughs> this book does that shit all the time. It takes me to a wall of hopelessness and then says, well, but it's not so difficult. Half our original fellowship were that type, either atheist or agnostics. Jason was going to read his way into better living. Goes on to say, at first, some of us tried to avoid this issue, hoping against hope we're not a true alcoholic. But after a while, we got to face the fact. Have I had to face the fact I must find the spiritual basis of life or else? But cheer up. <laughs> it's funny at this point they would tell you to cheer up. You know, you're not really cheerful right now. <laughs> If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life, if that's what AA is, you and I would have recovered long ago. You know those people that tell you, Alcoholics Anonymous are a set of principles that I just need to incorporate in my life. I haven't heard one principle in AA I wasn't given as a kid that I wanted to live up to and the needed power was never there. Alcoholics Anonymous is a set of steps that I just need to incorporate in my life. If I had the power to incorporate the steps in my life, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be doing a lot better. Right? So if AA is just a code of morals or a better philosophy of life, you and I would have recovered long ago. But you and I found that such codes and philosophies don't save us no matter how much we try. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. We could wish to be moral. In fact, we could will these things with all our might. We could try to will the steps into our lives, will make the principles happen, but the needed power is not there. My human resources, that's everything you can bring to bear on the unmanageability. My human resources, as marshaled by my will, are insufficient. It fails utterly. Why? After all this work, whether we're talking body, mind, or spirit, my real dilemma is lack of power. I need to find a power by which I can live, and it has to be a power greater than myself. Is that obvious? And then the next great question would be, if you've really seen the first step, all three parts, where and how am I going to find this power? Remember the many times in the book we've already been told this program is about a way of living. It's about a way of living from the time I get up till the time I go to bed, a way of living in God just says here, i got to find a power by which I could live, power greater than myself. I would like to paint a picture for you. I like pictures currently. And the picture I'd like to paint is an elevator going down about six or seven floors. We'll have to count them together before you can go up to step two. And I'm going to show you where a lot of people get off on one of those floors and they never get any further and they just try and try and try and try because they think there's something they can do to get themselves to whatever. Okay, floor number one. And they're all on these last two pages. When you honestly want to, you can't quit. Well, let's start with the second one first, just to be like the big book usually is. <clears throat> when Let's start with when drinking you have little control over the amount. Let's say that's floor number one. Little control 
over the amount. Then, let's say the second floor is, when I honestly want to, I can't stay quit. Can't stay quit. Okay? Floor number three. Do I suffer from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer? We'll add to that one. Oh, I'm sorry. Next floor. Two alternatives. Die an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis. Fifth floor. <laughs> we'll add to that one, that previous one. We'll add to die an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis. No, let's make it another one. Fifth floor. Have I faced the fact that I must find a spiritual basis of life or else? And number six. Having faced that fact, can I make my spiritual life, can I manage my spiritual life? Six floors. And we'll add to that last one, my human resources as marshaled by my will now that's as far as you can go with the, with the with the first step then they're going to take you to each area of your life we'll say that's the seventh floor page 52 here's what some people will do and I've been on every floor and I've gotten off on each one here's what some people will do they'll say I have a physical craving for alcohol so I just don't drink and they went one level down and they got off. Some people say, I have a physical craving for alcohol and a mental obsession. And here's what I do to keep myself from drinking again. And they went to the second floor and they got off. Then there's people that will say, I have a physical craving for alcohol and a mental obsession. And I can't keep myself sober. But here's what I'm going to do to make a spiritual awakening happen. And they got off on the third floor. They never really saw that they have an illness that only a spiritual experience can conquer. Then you have people that will say, I have a physical craving for alcohol and a mental obsession which will confine, consign me to drink again, and I have an illness that only a spiritual experience can conquer. And here's what I'm going to do to keep myself from dying an alcoholic death to live on a spiritual basis. And they got off on the fourth floor. Then you'll see some people that see that they have a physical craving for alcohol, a mental obsession, which means they can't, they can't keep themselves sober. They have an illness, body, mind, and spirit, that only a spiritual experience will conquer, and they can't even pull that off on their own power. But here's what they're going to do to get their life in order, and they're always working on the areas on page 52 to get all their ducks in a row. Because they never accepted the fact that they had, they had to find a spiritual basis of life or else, and they got off on the sixth floor. Then you'll see some people that experience the first step all the way to the bottom.
to see that there's no hope so they can then be raised up to where the real hope comes from. Not the false hope, the real hope. They will see, and it's all on these two pages, that not only can I not control the amount once I start, I can't keep myself stopped. I have an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. I have had to face the fact that I'm going to die an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis. I have chosen to live life on a spiritual basis, and I realize that I can't even make that go the way I would like it to, and that I have no power in any area of my life. And you think you've done well in admitting those things, and then they take you to page 52. That's the depth of what I think is on 44 and 45. Levels of powerlessness and unmanageability that you never touch when you just look at the craving and the obsession. And all those seven things, all those things we just looked at, are on page 44 and just half of page 45. Let's turn to page 52. Middle paragraph. This is a great description of sober, untreated alcoholism. We have to ask ourselves why I shouldn't apply to my human problems this same way as to change my point of view. Thing I want you to think about this as we talk about this. I may be wrong, but I don't think I've ever been to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous where this paragraph wouldn't describe every topic ever brought up. It starts out saying... We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And I ask a question, is not a basic solution to these bedevilments? That's an interesting word. More important... Then anything else I should see, it goes on to say, when we saw others solve their problems, everything they just mentioned, by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas didn't work, but the God idea did. Isn't it interesting, in 1939 or thereabouts, before this book was published, they would have talked about lunar flight. The way I see that, I don't know what, what they really meant was what is not a basic solution to this unmanageability more important than anything that might happen in the future. Now let's look at three ways of looking at page 52. Two will be kind of comfortable for those of you that have been around for a while, but the third way always brings me to the bottom of my first step. Draw all those other pieces that we just went through. This last consideration of page 52 really does it for me each time. But the first way that's good for those of you looking at it for the first time, it's good to look at page 52 like this. On my own power, can I? And we'll, we'll go through that. On my own power, can I control this? On my own power, can I? What do you do? Which one are you doing? <laughs> Oh, control my emotional nature. I'm with you. On my own power, can I do anything about misery and depression? On my own power, without God, can I make a living? 
On my own power, without God, can do I, I... Do I have a feeling of uselessness? Can I do anything about it? Get the feel? Fear? Unhappiness? Being of real help to other people? And you get to face what you do on your own power. Uh, but how many of us in the room, I don't care if you even have just one day, how many of us in our in this room are, have been operating on our own power? Some. Some at times and not at other times. A lot of us in this room haven't been operating on our own power for a long time, whether we realize it's there or not. So the second way, because you have to bring it back to booze, the second way, which still isn't that uncomfortable yet, the second way is like this. If each area on page 52 was exactly the way you wanted it to be, you know those times where you had all your ducks in a row? I got out of the Michigan State Penitentiary. I had a dream. It was a little unrealistic, and the amazing thing is that it happened. I wanted to deal blackjack in Las Vegas with a penthouse, some clothes, a car, jewelry, money, and a woman. Two years later, before my parole was up, I was dealing blackjack at the Dunes Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, with a penthouse, a car, clothes, jewelry, a bank account, and a woman. And I was still empty inside, and I'd gotten a dream. But with all my ducks in a row, I drank. So the question is, if your life was if your life was manageable, and you had all these areas of your life all in a row, would, the, would that manageability be enough to keep you sober? Then I start to feel a little friction because I see that maybe a lot of my sobriety has been get, about getting all my ducks in a row to manage my life so I can drink again. And I've been fooling myself into drinking again. Maybe some of you are just circumstantial drinkers. Maybe you drank over circumstance. Now you got all your little ducks in a row. Maybe now you can drink normally. Maybe the only reason you lost control over booze was because everything was a mess. Now that every area of your life is straightened out, maybe now you can drink. And I start to feel it a little bit more. Now check out this way of looking at page 52. This really kills those of us that have been around for a while. With the power and grace of God that I have been given up to this day, what do I do with each area of my life with power? And you bring the unmanageability current. And you face and honestly admit to yourself, what do you do with the power of God? The first thing your ego will do, I bet ten egos in the room already said, I'm doing a lot better than I was 14 years ago. What a great tool to keep me from looking at what I do with, with power. I've run the relationship into the ground again. I'm feeling some tension. i got trouble with some of my friends. How is it with money now, today? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he needs some power. <laughs> he needs some power. When you're sitting there and and you're looking at this, bring it current. Bring it into the, the reality of your life as you sit here right now. Trouble with personal relationships. Now, if you're like me, one of the first things my ego wants to do is go outside myself. But bring it inside. How you doing in the personal relationship with your with yourself? Personal relationships with everything in your life from the time you get up till the time you go to bed. With your house and your home and your car and your bank account and your physical health. Trouble with personal relationships. What I never knew for the longest time is if I didn't have one with myself and God, how in God's name could I have one with you? Where in the hell do you think codependency comes from? I don't have one with myself, so I've got to have one outside of myself. So I'm dependent on it. Co, codependent. Right? My emotional nature. See, 
when I look at, when I look at my experience, my personal relationships today don't have anything to do with anything outside of me. It's a condition inside of me. It's based on my relationship with God and my sense of who I really am as child. And the deeper that that experience is, the funny thing is, then my relationship with my whole external world changes completely, and it's not based anymore about what you say to me and how you treat me or anything else. Now I get some power that as I begin to love God, now I can begin to love that neighbor as myself with no judgment. No different with emotional nature. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're living your life based on self-will, then your external world is totally going to dictate your emotional nature, isn't it? God, what a terrible way to go through life. I love it when someone comes up and says, well, he said this and it makes me feel that way. Oh, I see. Then I don't have to assume any responsibility for my life. What a shitty way to go through life. What if you run across 20 assholes that day? My external world does not determine my emotional nature. If it does, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble from the time I get up till the time I go to bed. Now, look at the idea of making a living. That isn't just about earning money. We don't make money. To make that in the mint, we earn money. How do you do with that? How is it with your bills? Are they paid in time? How is it with Visa? How is it with MasterCard? How is it in all these areas of your life? You putting some money aside? How is it? It begins to produce a little tension when you start to bring it current. And again, I'm looking at this idea of lack of powers right in the middle of all of this stuff. The sense of uselessness. Every alcoholic I've ever worked with, irregardless of any success they've had in the world, this seems to be right at the core of a lot of their stuff, the sense of uselessness. Now, we looked at the first step, and all we looked at this whole day is body and mind, the truth about booze. And up pops the second half of step one, and you see the unmanageability. If now in the near future, as you're sitting here, you can make a few little notes of what comes up if you were asked to write down words that describe the current unmanageability when you look at personal relationships, your emotional nature, misery and depression, making a living, money, health, work, family, being of help to other people, use some words to describe that we'll call it the current, the current. The current unmanageability. Well, let's say I got a little tension with my girlfriend. Uh, the credit cards are blah, blah, blah. Right? Uh, a little tension with my best friend, so-and-so. Right? Uh, some fear cropping in. Describe it. Describe the current unmanageability. In a little while, I'm going to paint a picture for you. But keep in mind, from the truth of booze, Let's say that's down here, body and mind, the truth about me and alcohol. I can't keep myself sober. And if I take a drink, that craving is going to happen, and I'm going to enter into a whole vicious cycle from craving to obsession. I can't keep that from happening. And then picture that up pops the current unmanageability. What I would like you to do when you begin to describe it, I got this going on with relationships and this with my emotions and misery and depression and fear and happiness and money and work and finance, health. List those, and you've got to bring each one of them that you currently see back to alcohol. So let's say I find one. Let's say I find debt. Smoking. Weight, diabetes. 
credit. Marriage. Whatever words you use to describe the current unmanageability, take each one of them one at a time and say, what's right underneath that debt? Fear. Pain. Destitute. Alone. Booze. Bring every one of them back to booze, and you will see how the unmanageability connects to alcohol so it strengthens your first step rather than move out of the unmanageability into step two and all of a sudden you're further away from your first step. I would like you to find a way to connect the unmanageability to alcohol so it strengthens your first step. Because I'm going to paint a picture for you and I'm going to show you a way. I wish I knew how to make it happen for you, but I don't know how I made it. I didn't make it happen for myself. It has happened. It's happened before, but I'm currently in the middle of it, so of course it feels more powerful now. But I can tell you, those of you that can understand, nine months into 10, 11, and 12, my first step is stronger than it was when I was in step one, and that's not been my experience other years. Usually, nine months into step 10, 11, and 12, and I'm starting to get back into time to do the work again. And I can honestly say to you, I have never been more consciously aware. I don't mean that negative kind of first step where it feels icky and it feels terrible. I'm talking about, I think the first step, if you can picture a face, and you clearly see that face when you're in the first step and it feels icky and you see your death, I think somewhere between 2 and 11, between two step 2 and finishing amends, that face turns 180 degrees and it goes from your death to your saving grace. And you have a first step that is your saving grace. And it's not a terrible thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I am deeper into the first step in 10, 11, and 12 than I've ever been. And it begins by seeing the truth about booze. Let the unmanageability that you currently have in your life pop up. And then bring everything that popped up back to alcohol. And now we'll move into the second step. <clears throat> You we'll know, call, I'm sorry. That's a great exercise that Joe just gave you. To, to maybe, maybe it's something uh, tonight if you want to take a little time, take all the different areas of your life. That quote you would consider to be a problem. Page 52 sums up every area of your life, right? Your finances, your relationships with others, your career, your physical health, your emotional health, your spirit, every area of your life, your spiritual health. And ask yourself, where am I currently with all of these areas? Right here, right now, tonight. And then what you're looking at is where you're at with this part of step one. Now, the question behind that is, if nothing changes in these, do I believe I would drink behind that? But the other is this. Is not the solution to every one of those lack of power? You know, people like us support the self-help book industry. There's one problem with that. We go get the book, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, the dog may or may not be, how to manage your anger, all that bullshit. And our, and our rooms are full of them. And we read them, and we have all this knowledge and information. The problem is we have no power. We have no power. It always gets back down to lock of power, and I don't care what it is. And to me, this paragraph describes everything, and it describes a state of consciousness within me. It has nothing to do with anything outside of me. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a relationship, if it's a job, you name it. It's a state of consciousness within me. And when I drink alcohol, it'll treat that. And if I'm in sobriety and I don't have ease and comfort and I'm in this state long enough, there'll come a day one day when my mind to give me ease and comfort 
will convince me suddenly and vaguely that I better take a drink, and I'll take a drink. Look at the state of consciousness described on page 52, and then look at the state of consciousness described on page 83. I had that state of consciousness on 52 before I ever drank, and I started paying, pouring booze on it, and the consciousness of page 83 came as a result of alcohol working. I love that thing Joe and Charlie do when they take you through when alcohol was working and then read the, 12, the, the uh, promises on page 83. When alcohol was working, every one of those promises, there's only one set of promises in this book that never happened as a result of alcohol. And those are the ones you start to get when you've entered the world of the spirit and you left the world of the spirits, which there's a fine line between. But a lot of people have never experienced the promises on the other side of the world of the spirits. Because spirits, booze, treated page 52 and took me to page 83. But now I'm not drinking anymore. Booze quit working. I couldn't get to the consciousness on 83 anymore. Alcohol quit working. And now I'm back on page 52 and I can't get myself out of it anymore with anything. The needed power isn't there. So now I'm really in 52. 30 years later, at the end of my drinking, page 83 doesn't happen anymore, even with booze. So the question is, what takes place between page 52 and page 83 in this process? We're talking just 30 pages. What takes place between 52 and 83? That's like the guy in North Denver that said to me one night when they were talking about the promises on 83, and it pissed me off because they weren't happening. He said, you want to know how to get from, you want to know how to get the promises on 83? I said, you're damn right I want to know how to get the promises on 83. He said, do everything from page 1 to 82. I said, now let me get this right. <laughs> I'm a pretty complicated guy, and I've been educated way past my capabilities. You mean to get what's on page 83, you just have to do what's on page 1 to 82? Right. Okay. Got it. The next question would be, can you, on your own power, without God, get yourself from the consciousness on 52 to the state of consciousness on page 83? If you can... Don't do anything more in this book. Just get yourself to the consciousness on page 83 on your own power. Because doing what's on page 53 to 83 will be terrible. It will not be pleasant. You know, you know the insanity of this, this mind that I have. When I, when I think of what alcohol has asked me to do, and it's asked you to do the same thing, uh, and asked me to do it for a long time. And then I presented with, with this book and this solution. You know, we, we've been here since last night and, and you know, you, you're, you look at what this book asks you to do. And if your mind's like mine, it really starts to present like it's some real big major thing. Now we've already been told that the power solves our problem. And it, it's just occurred to me over and over again, you know, if I, if I went to a cancer ward or I went to an AIDS ward where they're dying, and I walked in and I said, listen, I got a deal for you. What's that? Well, I tell you what, I got this book. And if you're willing to start the title page of this book and really just go up through, say, the first 105 pages and just follow the directions and take an hour and a half out of your day and go to a meeting and try and help others, your aides will go on remission right today and you'll live as long as your Heavenly Father wants to 
What do you think that person would give me for that? <laughs> they give me their wife. They give me everything, right? And an alcoholic will fight doing this work and say, this work is terrible. I'm really uncomfortable. This is really harsh. You guys are really mean. I don't like what this book is asking me, and it's a mother's kiss compared to drinking again. If for you to drink is to die, we're back to the first consideration. If for you to drink is to die, this work will be a pat on the butt compared to drinking booze again. If for you to drink is to feel bad, you'll never make it through amends. And if you want to know if your ego has moved you away from step one, ask yourself this question since we started last night. If there's been a lot of resistance in you and this really seems like it's a hard thing, guess what? Guess how far you've been moved away from your truth in step one? This ought to seem like a breath of fresh air compared to what we do when we drink, right? Right? This work is only hard if I think I've got to muster up the work to do it. But if you realize you get the power from each step to do the next, what do you have to really do? But ask God to give you the power to just show up for it. You will be moved through the steps. Is it time for me to move into step two? If you're wondering, it's not. You call your sponsor back and you say, I have been moved into step two, and i got to go on. <laughs> I am being moved on against my will. That's when you know you're in step two. You know you're in step two when there's nothing you can do about step one. And as long as there's anything you can do about step one, you're not in step two. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Now we're on page 45. That's exactly what this book is about. The main object of this book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. Here's what a lot of people have turned in their second step into once they get past step one. You might see every single thing up to page 45, and then you'll read it like this, through your actions. through Like Mark said, through your actions. The main object is to enable me to find power greater than me so I can solve my problems. <laughs> There's a big difference between that and the main object is to enable me to find a power greater than myself which will solve my problems. See the difference? I'm not doing the steps to get power so I can solve my problems. <laughs> so let's talk about this section of the book. We'll call this section five, step two, which is to come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. You know, there's a big difference between, between coming to believe in a power and coming to believe that a power. Watch the difference. I started to approach the second step, and I thought I had to come to believe in God. And that by the next morning, I was going to believe in God. I was going to have faith. Step two doesn't say you have to come to believe in God. Step two says you need to be, come to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. It's just a little step. This is about you and your need for power. This is your reason for seeking God, is your first step. And the first step is squeezed out any old ideas I've had about God. It's a very simple step. Two little simple questions, and then the power of God moving you from that first question to the second question. We're going to continue to turn statements into questions, and we're going to use the whole chapter. Be agnostic. 
I like to encourage people to get familiar with the chapter and the flow of the chapter. Just read it cold a few times. And then we're going to take, we're going to look at the second step in two parts. Part number one, page 47. Second paragraph. You need to ask yourself but one short question. Do you now believe or are you even willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself? That's the first half of step two. Now, for anybody that's been around for a period of time, that question will no longer do you any good. Ask a guy with 14 years, do you believe that, do you believe or are you even willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself? And even at the height of his ego, he's going to say, sure. This has happened. This has happened. I can't deny this. I know I need to do this work again. My ego's rebuilt itself. But I don't have any problem with that question. So for those of you that have been around, we've got to add one little thing that will make the question challenging from now as long as you're sober every time you ever do this work. And this is it. Keeping in mind the truth about page 52 and that it's directly connected to alcohol, here's the question. Do you now believe or are you even willing to believe that this power that you say you believe in can take you past where you are with every area of your life on page 52. Past here. But there's more. If there's any area of your life God's brought you as far as he's going to bring you, then he's not everything. He's finite. He's measurable. So this question, the first half, see, for somebody in the room that's new, it's a big deal to just say, yes, I am willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself because I've seen how little I have. I've seen I don't have any power. I've even seen that what I've been given so far has been a gift from God. 